Hello, everyone. I've not gone on live on my YouTube channel for a really long time, so I'm just checking the technical aspects really quick. Ah, yes. All right, I'm live on my channel. I put a little bit about <clears throat> this interview that was coming up on like Facebook and Instagram, so hopefully people can tune in and catch the live. If not, the recording will be there. Uh, but yeah, my name is... Kayla, I started Simply Lucid as a platform to really explore consciousness and share my own journey coming into myself. So Simply Lucid started out as my love for herbalism and wanting to share the different apothecary items I was making, but it has since expanded into so many different things. One of the things being this podcast where I really interview people who I find very inspiring and interesting. Today we have someone who has traveled immensely and is uh, has a grasp has like a footing ah hello i was just like uh doing your intro a little bit no worries i figured i logged in i was like oh shit i better go run to the restaurant no yeah yeah i i figured i'd hop on early just to be like i've not been on live in a while hello hello vocal exercises <laughs> what do your thing do your thing yeah but um so we have laney on the podcast today she's very immersed in the world the world in general but also world schooling so i don't know as far as you and the audience i don't know how much you've heard about this if it's completely new if it's something that you've heard of and want to learn more about but that's definitely where i'm at i have this like seed of awareness that i really want to understand way more um made more appealing and interesting by the world that we live in today and like the changing world whether it be work or education just how we live our lives so yes uh thank you so much for being on the show today hello hello how are you doing yeah, great intro. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. So I figure this will take about an hour. I want to be mindful of your time. I have some questions here, but I want to give you the floor so you can introduce yourself to the audience. Sure, no worries. Um, I just want to let you know and let your audience know this is real. <laughs> and I have a rescue dog and he tends to bark so i just want to let you know if i mute myself or if you hear carlos in the background it's just life yes. <laughs> yeah so where are you what where, where are you in the world yeah so i spent last year living in guatemala and i recently moved back to the states back in the springtime so it's been a few months now back in the states i'm in ohio which uh, where i was born and raised and all of that so connecting to home family roots all of that but um i'm itching to get traveling again needless to say where in guatemala were you were you at the lake or were you yeah. in okay I, I was at the lake i went yeah. down to the lake for like a month-long priestess training and then i had already started the whole i want to work for myself i want to work online ball rolling and i was like i'm gonna travel the world you know and then when everything happened last year i was like well I don't know if I'll travel the world so much as I'll stay here, home base at the lake and keep working online, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And do you have children? I can't remember. Yeah, you do. Do you have a, hmm? do you have a kid? You have a kid? No. You don't have a kid. Uh. <laughs> okay. No, no, but I'm like psychologically preparing for the future of that. You know what I mean? The womb of the earth, the womb of my body. It will yeah. bring forth <laughs> the magic. Exactly. Fantastic. 
fantastic. Oh, that's so amazing. Tell me about your God. Just, I mean, if you have just a moment, like yeah. God training, it was at um, Lake Atitlan and you were on which, which, which part of the island were you in? Yeah. So I was in San, I like landed in San Marcos. And San Marcos, yeah. The the retreat that I was at was in Pana Hachel, kind of oh, like, okay. it was like yeah, 15 minutes outside of Pana. So we like went there on the boat, then took That's like a bus to get to it. And yeah, I'm fairly car sick. So like the roads there were like, yeah, an initiation into like, this is how we travel. Um, and then that was for like a month, went back to San Marcos because that felt familiar. But then when the lockdown started to happen, I was like, I need to be where food is. I need to be amongst like permaculture, farm, nature people. So I moved to <clears throat> Sununoth as like 10, 15 minutes away from San Marcos. And then I was there for the majority of the time. And then Right before I left, I moved to um, Haibalito, which is like one of the smaller villages. Yeah, so that was really awesome. But mostly Shudana and like got to connect with really cool people doing all kinds of projects, um, non-profit, like permaculture, regeneration, whether interpersonal or our relationship with the earth. So it was super cool to be there and be connected, to, like plant those seeds of connection during such a chaotic or a tumultuous time, you know, like I, I was able to find a lot of peace that I'm grateful for during that time. So I'm curious, how did the indigenous population um, take the information given by the government saying this is a pandemic, we need to lock down? Were they distrustful or did they uh, um, obey? Um, I would say for the most part, it was like a surface level obeying, but behind the scenes, it was very much like, we're going to do what we want to do, if that makes sense. But I, I think deep down, as far as like the indigenous people, they were like, uh, we don't want any part of this. I feel like the main concern was the shutting down of businesses and people getting their um, finances kind of dangled in front of them to where it was like, oh, well, let me comply so I can have my business going. It wasn't like an authentic, like, yes, I believe in what's happening. It's like, yeah, 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 we'll do what we want. We'll have the optics so that we can keep our businesses, our lifestyles running. So strange. Yeah, that was one of my biggest, like, I wonder how the people, how the indigenous population are faring in Guatemala just because they've had such a, horrible violent goal yeah, history exactly and like that's something that i had no awareness of even going oh, really there. and it was at the it was at the retreat that i was at that we had like intentional kind of deep dives of like this happened this happened this happened that i was like oh my goodness i had no yeah. i had no awareness even they were know? slaughtered they were slaughtered yeah. like in the 80s right yeah, I think it went from like the 50s or something through the 80s. It was like multiple decades that it happened, like multiple generations. And yeah. the effects of that are still happening, yeah. whether it's like, um, you know, nutrient deficiencies or what have you. Of course. Yeah. So, of course, I can't speak for like the whole indigenous population, but that was just the vibe that I got. There was a yeah. sense of like, I will jump through the hoops as I've been trained to do so I can get my freaking needs met you know, with like um, an underneath underlying like resistance or contempt in a way. 
It's interesting. I'm in Mexico now, and and uh, I was in Oaxaca. And in the beginning of the the lockdowns, they were like, "Fuck that!" But no, no. And then something went through their community, and they got hit hard, and a lot of people died. And now they're like, "Okay, okay." So, which which is interesting. And I'm just wondering if there's some sort of campaign or. What's going on to get them to comply? Because yeah. this is the spirit and the heart of, of rebellion. This is these, you know, we got to look to indigenous people yeah. to, to, to rebirth this this crazy world. <laughs> but, okay, we're going way off. Yeah, no, okay. Yeah, my, my perception of Mexico was that it was kind of the most laissez-faire open during all of this. So I'm surprised to hear you say there was like a, almost like, oh, no, we, we are afraid now, like, we'll comply type of energy running through for some reason. Well, that was just in Oaxaca. I don't live in Oaxaca. Mm -hmm. And where I live now, not a big indigenous population, but there are lots of rule followers and lots of people that are just like, fuck it, I'm doing my own thing. Yeah. Um, it'll be interesting if things are mandated because you've got sort of other levels of power structures here, like cartels and stuff like that. And they're not going to comply. Mm -hmm. So it'll exactly. be super fascinating. I know, right? <laughs> it's like I'm interested to see how things play out in the hopes that everyone can stay like as healthy and as financially prosperous as they would want and need to, you know, because beyond health, there are the other things like the finances, and everything is connected, but I see it as more. Oh, we're already live. I didn't know yeah, that. Yeah. <laughs> In the past, I would do these interviews and I would have them on Zoom. And then I would have to go back and like download the audio, download the visuals, edit it. So I'm like, let me just do it live so it's there. And then if I want to edit it and play beyond that, we can do that. But this is purely with your consent. We can like take it off live if you would prefer that. No, no, it's fine. I just didn't know. I just didn't know. I yeah. Here you go. So was that intro and intro? I thought you were just rehearsing. <laughs> I was rehearsing. I was more so being like, "Hey, I've not shown up live in this space for a long time. This is the podcast where I interview like really cool, inspiring people." And then I just said like a tiny bit about you, and then whenever, if you would like to, you can do a more thorough introduction of yourself. <laughs> Oh, and that's when you started. That's when I started. And I was like, oh, that's that's great. I thought you were still rehearsing. Oh, that's so funny. Oh, well, <laughs> hi, folks. <laughs> I just jumped into the question about Guatemala. It's just fascinating to me because my son and I lived there for eight months and mm. really fell in love with the history and the culture and really did a deep dive. And um, we explored through art. There were so, at, at the time that we were there, which was about 12 years ago, there, there was some some mark of history and so in Guatemala City there were tons of exhibits about the the historical occurrences and we learned we learned through these art pieces we learned through these these documentaries and these videos and conceptual pieces and we had conversations and we spent lots of time we lived in Antigua um, and we spent lots of time at Lake Atitlan exploring and fell in love with the culture uh, the the tradition of 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 Moshiman. Do you know Moshiman? Mm -mm. Moshiman. I just, I mean, it has nothing to do with, with the, um, the, uh, you know, the slaughter of the indigenous and that, that whole thing. But one of the cultural sort of crossroads 
And we lived in Peru for three years too. And we noticed the same thing there in Peru and Guatemala really um, felt very similar to us in, in this respect where the colonial occupation tried to, of course, you know, persuade people, persuade people to become Catholic, to believe their belief systems. And so the Catholicism that is practiced among the indigenous in both Peru and in uh, Guatemala um, is a mezcla, a mixture of the two. So they've taken their traditions and they've they've sort of weaved it in. And I could tell you story after story after story. But Moshimon was my absolute favorite. <laughs> there is in San Marcos, not San Marcos. What is the the big the big city across from Panachel? The the really big one. Uh, is it like Shayla or something? No, it's not Shayla. Mm. I can't remember. It's a sand something. Yeah. But anyway, um, within this community, within this town, every year a family um, volunteers or is selected through the church to take care of Moshimon. Mm. And Moshimon is a cross between, um, oh my gosh, what is his name? Who, who's the guy, I can remember, who's the guy who in the Bible gave up Christ? Judas, right? Judas, Judas. Yes, yes, yes. So he's a cross between Judas and a, um, a some, one of the, one of their, their model, you know, one of their idols before mm -hmm. that. And so they sort of married the two. Mm -hmm. He's called Moshimon, and he is a wooden effigy, a wooden mm -hmm. statue. And like I said, every year a different family builds a shrine oh. to him, and they move him from place to place. Mm -hmm. And Moshimon is the god of drinking, smoking, gambling, and sex. Like and a so, Dionysus. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Although Dionysus was also the liar, right? <laughs> well, that was Apollo. No. Dionysus. I don't. I know Dionysus is like I'm getting drunk, bitches. Like, yeah. <laughs> well, Dionysus was also chaos, right? Mm -hmm. And and wine and frivolousness and playfulness, which I could talk about the the Greek in just a second. But um, <laughs> yeah, so when you visit Moshimon, you have to bring him a bottle of Indita. And uh, he, do you remember Indita? There, it's kind of like the I think it's cane um, rum, but it's very, very crude. And there's a picture of an indigenous girl on in the- Is it um, the Quetzalteca? Maybe that's what it's called, but the nickname yeah. for it is Inditas, which means little indigenous girl. And you bring them a bottle and you pour the whole bottle into the mouth of this wooden effigy. Yes. And you give them cigarettes and you give them money and you make your wishes. And that's where all the sins of of your self for the year are are sort of absorbed. Nice. So it's just fantastic. It was like the cross between Judas and whatever it was before. And I just, I love when you've got sort of, you know, peaks of, of the old, you know, the original indigenous traditions persevering among colonialism. It just brings so much joy to me to see how it survived. It survived in, in any way that it absolutely could. 
And that reminds me of the spirit of the indigenous people, uh, especially in Guatemala and in, in, in through Mexico and all this area. Yeah. yeah. Peru to Bolivia. Mm. Yes. I am like um, charting my next course to like middle and South America. I miss it so much and I loved it so much. But overall, I'm trying to balance what does it look like to have a home base to return to and plug into whenever whenever I'm wanting that type of energy. And then how can I balance that with exploring the world, learning about history and people through art and culture and all of these different things? Because I, like you, have gone through the whole, like, let me sell everything. I'm really just going to backpack it right now. But then I'll hit this point of, but now I want to home base it. And I'm like, wait a minute. Okay. There has to be some, there has to be, there have to be hacks to this to where I'm not fully like, doing all of this energy over and over and over again so like that's just something i'm curious about in people who are in a scene of like world schooling digital nomad just have their awareness right. expanded so, to that level there are two things that you can embody and that is the lack of scarcity of time which mm -hmm. means if i find a place that i love i'm gonna stay here until i don't want to and instead of like, I got to go, I got to go. I've, I've identified as a nomad. I got to go. I got to go. So, <laughs> right. Yeah. So that's the first one. Mm -hmm. And then the detachment and ability to give up whatever you've accumulated. So I, this is my third or third base, I guess. I've, third base. I'm in third base. I spent like the longest, the first longest was, was Guatemala, which I fell in love with. My son and I fell in love with. So we stayed because there was no reason to go fast. We loved being there. And then we were, we were ready to go. We left. And then our next, well, actually fourth, this would be our fourth base because then we lived in Ecuador for a year. Cool. And then after Ecuador, we lived in as a base, um, Peru for three years. And then we traveled again for four or five years without a base at all. Mm -hmm. And now I have a base again. Mm -hmm. So this is my fourth base, real base, but we've stopped in other places for chunks of time. Like we spent time in, in Wales and time in uh, Thailand and time in Greece, but mm -hmm. none of it was a base. But in each of the places that we called a base, we're not afraid to spend the money to make our space mm. a home. Because mm -hmm. that's what our heart needs right now. And I know so many nomads are like, well, no, I'm, I'm, I can't spend any money. I, I'm just, I want to go to a furnished place and I'm never going to buy a piece of art or, you know, even though I'm living with a, uh, without pots and pans that are good, I'm not, why buy them? Mm -hmm. You know what? Spend the money, buy them mm -hmm. and then give them away. Yes. Yeah. So the detachment, so lack of scarcity and the ability to, to honor and hone and treat yourself and live in the moment and then give it away when you're done. Mm -hmm. I love that. Did you find that you came to those realizations through your own journey or someone kind of introduced that to you? No, that was self, self-directed yes. things. Yeah. I mean, like we changed so much. We got rid of a 2000 square foot loft in order to take this journey mm -hmm. and it was filled. It was packed. It was, yeah. it was so much stuff. So 
we went through the first stage of, of detachment to things. And then that was a conscious choice that my son and I made. We decided that we were not going to collect things. We're going to collect memories. And this was the trade-off. And we were happy with that. And if we wanted to stop, we can collect things. No big deal. Like, mm -hmm. why does this have to be for, you know, for in, this is for now. Exactly. Yeah. So, As we're talking about it, I realize I have put such a weight on if I have a material item, it needs like I need to have it forever. And if I would get rid of it, but then need it again, it's almost like a sin. But as I'm, yeah, I'm just like, that's absurd. Like why put so much weight on things? So yeah, I'm, I'm curious to do my own shadow work and go deeper into where that comes from. But yeah, I so resonate with what you've said about, uh, detaching from the attachment to things and especially the scarcity of time the whole like oh if i've not traveled in six months then i somehow lose my card as like <laughs> having the heart of an adventurer you know <laughs> yeah, yeah crazy stuff yeah it's, and you know what it only exists in our own head and in our own egos and there is absolutely an uncovered shadow that's that's keeping it there and keeping us in the safety of this belief i'm like hosting a shadow workshop right now so all my languaging is right. all around yeah. yeah my background is in psychology so if oh. you psychobabble all psychobabble oh, all you want i'm curious is the is the shadow work component new to your work or you've always had that kind of like self-development stuff going on because as we're bringing up so much internal stuff comes up as we're yeah. changing our lifestyles well i'm an advocate for for world schooling for partnership parenting for alternative education but the work that i've been doing for the last eight years has been serving teens teens are my love my passion my purpose and my son and i co-founded a company called project world school and over those eight years, we bring teens to different parts of the world so they can have an outside of their comfort zone experience to explore the outer worlds mm -hmm. as a way to dialogue about the inner worlds. So, um, you know, I would facilitate circle time and reflection and unpack all of these things about perspectives and dig into, I mean, it's not called psychology but it's called processing right but it's it's part of education and and i had to understand the development of the teenage brain in order to understand how they're processing the world and the stages that they're in and what they're wired to do and they're wired to take risks and they're wired to socially learn and they're wired to do all of these things that from an evolutionary psychology perspective in this moment they can't do so the self-development portion has always been a part of what i do mm -hmm. and since 2020 i since my son and i have not been able to lead trips um, and our trips were living in community for one month in a foreign land, having these outer world exp experiential experiences and coming back and exploring them and unpacking them. Mm -hmm. I took all the eight years of work around unpacking and then all of the self-development work that I've done in order to sort of heal or bring to the light all of my wounds around my childhood trauma, which were a lot. 
mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and I had to do that in order to parent in partnership. So behind the scenes, all this stuff is always going on. But mm-hmm. since last year, I, I started a new company called um, Transformative Mentoring for Teens. Mm-hmm. And I've been working online with teens teaching courses on how to use tools for Mm self-development, not just self-development, but how to uh, identify, you know, limiting beliefs and how to normalize self-inquiry and how Mm -hmm. to calm the nervous system and all the things that I learned for myself and facilitated with them in the retreats, I'm giving to them as tools now. Mm-hmm. And after doing, you know, I've been doing that now for about a year with the teens and I post on my Facebook all the time. I've been asked by the parents, you know, I put these short videos of us talking about shadow work or we're talking about passion mm-hmm. or we're talking about, you know, whatever it is the topic is for that week. They're like, I want this for me. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> my first adult shadow work course and that yeah. just started yesterday. Exactly. It's like, it's for adults, but it can also be for one's own inner teen, inner child, like meeting whatever part of the complex self that needs that work, you know, and I like, I like coming at shadow work with um, just such curiosity, like literally, I'm like an explorer with a flashlight in a cave looking for gems, and there might be scary stuff there, but it's nothing that I can't handle if I just dare to walk into the cave, you know, instead of like fretting outside of it for too long. (laughs) Well, that's really what we're talking about. We're talking about that. What does it feel like to be in our comfort zone? Well, what you just described for most people is not. So how do we get comfortable with being outside of our comfort zone in what I call the stretch zone mm-hmm. and by by separating the panic zone which is outside of the stretch zone from just in your comfort zone and out of your comfort zone which is what most people talk about we've yeah. got the stretch zone it gives us the ability to just sort of feel our way into being uncomfortable and understanding that there's even farther we can go and we can go into fight flight or freeze if we go outside this little ring mm-hmm. and if we do we know that we'll always get out of it. We're safe. Like fight, flight, or freeze is designed to only like be experienced in short spurts. Like, you know, it's the oldest system. Our reptilian brain is the oldest system in the human brain. And it's designed for a very specific thing to keep us safe. Uh-huh. Uh, we, we could talk lots about trauma and what some of the fear is doing to people now, but, yeah. you know, understanding how our systems work, give us empowerment in self-reflection so we can be the watcher. We can do the self-inquiry work and we can understand that biologically this is happening. Mm-hmm. I need to regulate my nervous system. I'm recognizing this through my conscious thinking. I can communicate with the unconscious thinking. There are tools. Oh, wow. I'm not out of control. Mm-hmm. This vessel, this, ah, see there's Carlos. <laughs> this, this, you know, sort of walking processing system that we are living with, that we we are living in, including mm-hmm. our brain. Mm-hmm. Let's 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 make friends with it. Let's mm-hmm. understand it. Definitely. You know, have you heard that the brain isn't fully developed until we're 25? Yeah, of course. The, like, prefrontal cortex course. is that not to say like true false, but like how advanced 
our kids or teens before they hit that 25 point or is it more like nope you're still a kid wait till you're 25 because i i i believe that kids can be way more advanced to comprehend just what we've talked about you are a complex processing system you have a comfort zone and a stretch zone hold on hold on Carlos, come here. Carlos. Carlos. I, yeah, and I was telling, I think I was telling you before that I just rescued a, a sweet mm -hmm. dog, so he's nervous. <laughs> he does that. And I'm working with him. Um, so to answer your question, it doesn't mean that they're advanced or less advanced. It means that there is an evolutionary purpose for why their prefrontal cortex is not completely developed. Mm -hmm. And the reason is, is all the other systems, um, the ability to take risks, right? Because we want our teens to take risks. Every, every single change maker in the world, you know, came from adolescence, you know, the, the, the artists, the music, the, the, people who led move, not every single one, but people that led, uh, you know, political movements. Mm -hmm. This is the way that we evolve as a species because there's, there, there's a benefit to questioning everything. And it's much easier to question everything when you're not fully developed there. there there's the ability to learn how to um, calculate consequences. But, you know, our I could talk for ages about why our culture does not really serve the teen development or adolescent development. It controls it and it shuts it down. But there there is an, a, an evolutionary reason why that is happening. Also, it's a time when the teens or adolescents are individuating from their family unit. So what that means is they're exploring and taking risks and trying on different identities and seeing where they fit in the world and calculating and, and feeling their way out. And then the last thing is their brain, which has been, you know, taking in information and creating these neur uh, neurons ever since childhood where, you know, zero to three, they're, they're exploding with neur neuron firing and neuron growth. They're starting to prune away the things that they don't mm -hmm. need mm -hmm. in order to create deeper, mm -hmm. deeper and more complex connections. So they're preparing the brain to be able to process deeper and more conceptual the mm -hmm. life experience for that. You need to be able to make connections. You need to be able to step outside of the, the small thing that they already know and to be able to kind of be in their stretch zone to grow. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. So is that to say the underdeveloped prefrontal cortex is more open to exploring the stretch zone whereas an adult's brain is say like less stretchier to want to explore that stretch zone although they can still do that sure okay. i mean that that makes perfect sense um i think there's more complex reasons why adults don't mm -hmm. and that has to do with programming habitual thinking um belief systems that are formed mm -hmm. about why we should always be comfortable 
like mm -hmm. the discomfort of being uncomfortable is not from from a Western world perspective something that we welcome. Mm -hmm. We tend to numb out or medicate or booze out or mm -hmm. sex out or shop out or whatever mm -hmm. in order not to deal with feelings that are not necessarily considered positive. Mm -hmm. Just feelings are our body, our brain's way of telling us to pay attention to something. That's mm -hmm. all. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they're unpleasant and sometimes they hurt deeply, but that that's an invitation to process. That's an invitation to open it up. But if we are afraid of being uncomfortable and opening it up and, and unpacking this stuff, we shove it down. And if you think of like a, a trash compactor, mm -hmm. right? You put something in the trash compactor and you put more trash in and more trash in and it's no longer on the top and you push it down. It doesn't mean it disappeared. It's just pushed mm -hmm. down, right? It's like, eh, and then that becomes God knows what as far as long-term health. Yeah. You may not be feeling that thing on the bottom, but it's there and it comes out in physical ways the, um, from a Chinese, and I don't know much about Chinese medicine, but from a Chinese medicine perspective, I read somewhere and I'm not sure, but that there are there are connections they discovered, you know, hundreds of thousands of years ago of practicing Chinese medicine and honing in their craft that anger affects the liver. And I'm not sure if it's the liver or the kidneys or the heart, but like specific emotions affect specific organs. Yeah. And if, if we've compacted it down and we haven't unpacked it, mm -hmm. like, we're gonna get that the the sort of um, you know vibration or or the rumination of that thing still being there affected in one of our organs. Mm -hmm. Exactly. I'm excited for people to take your shadow work class. <laughs> when is that? Well, um, it's a month. It's a 30 day shadow work discovery. And it just yes. started. If people want to want to join me they'd have to join me now because they we've, we've got the recording we've got all the homework and all that stuff and the challenges and the prompts but they could also wait till the next one i don't know when the next one's going to be but this is the first time i'm like i said doing it for adults this is, i have a small group i only have 11 people but you know i did it in such a way that you know i've never i've taught it for teens um i've never taught a 30-day one or facilitated is a better word yeah. um but I, like it was uh, yeah, yesterday's like two hour meeting was powerful. <laughs> I'm curious how you deal with um, like a stigma that is out there that says, unless you have a PhD, you don't really know what you know, if that makes sense. Or just this sense of higher education validates what we know. Not sure. to say not to say it doesn't, but um, I am doing my own deprogramming as I'm wanting to not go down that path for various reasons. But like those hooks and limiting beliefs are so there. So I'm curious as to how you've processed that. Yeah, well, that's your indoctrination. That's your work. My, um, I guess my my biggest um, uh, credential would be being a self directed healer. Mm. 
and I mean talking about self-directed on myself. And, you know, I've been, you know, motivated for, for 30 years to study many different modalities, to learn as much as I can. Do I have somebody telling me that what I've learned is ordained and valid? No. <laughs> but I'm I I don't claim to be a PhD or an MD or a, a counselor of any. You know I facilitate using tools that I've used that are accessible to anybody, whether or not you know it's valid for somebody. That's your problem. <laughs> you know if you want to go follow a PhD, follow a PhD, whatever. That's fine with me. Yeah. Um, I work with teens. My role is that of a mentor, but I'm using, I've got so many books up there. Uh, you know, I'm using C CBT. I'm using like all sorts of modalities. All you have to do is buy a book, read it, study it, practice it, you know, use it. Um, don't claim to be anything that you're not. Um, I dissect from each of the different, like my own self-healing work that I've done for years and years and years. I mean, I told you I had lots of childhood trauma. Mm -hmm. uh, my motivation to start and doing that work was becoming a parent. I did not want to bring that into my parent relationship. I didn't want to be like my parents. Mm -hmm. I, that was my, that, that was, that was it. Bottom line, simple goal. I didn't want to be like my parents. They yeah. sucked. <laughs> they fucked me up. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and I had lots of like patterns in my life, especially in my interpersonal relationships until I started to unpack this stuff and see what those beliefs were. And a lot of them were, were very self-sabotaging and self-hatred and self-deprecating. And I, I didn't want to feel like that or be like that. I didn't want my actions or interactions with other people to come from a space of lack. I really wanted to understand, unpack, heal, reprogram, uh, and empower myself. And if I could do that, and look, they're not gone. My shadows are there because that's an integrated part of who I am. Do I go into reaction from from those shadows sometimes <laughs> okay I'll be truthful so you're like i'm perfect now no <laughs> hell no no but <laughs> but the recognition that these are part of the software that makes laney laney mm -hmm. and i can live with that i can live alongside of that i and in fact i can even love those imperfections because it gave me the insight and the motivation because I recognized something wasn't working. I wanted to make it work. Mm -hmm. So do I need a PhD for that? No, but if you want to, and if you don't want to trust me, that's, that's fine. That's your choice. Yeah. But I've helped a lot of people mm -hmm. um, and I'm upfront and honest. Yeah, <laughs> you know? Exactly. It, it seems like you're putting that need for um, that external validation, like that it's not yours. That's on, someone else and if they are carrying that then they might not want to work with you but that's their stuff you're like i know what i know because i chose to do the work to heal myself right Here and mm -hmm. i am a parent of a self-directed learner i believe in this so much that my son is a fifth grade dropout i ah. love that he's highly educated he is mm -hmm. he's 22 
and he you can <laughs> you could speak philosophy politics world economics you can speak anything with him because he's highly educated mm -hmm. so that to me you know it's a success story mm -hmm. so here you go yay uh i wanted to go back to partnership parenting that sure. you've said uh is that to say like co-parenting like the relationship between the two uh parent parents or it's more about the relationship between parent and child on a sense of like we are two humans navigating this yeah complex like potentially beautiful relationship yeah it's very different now coming from the conventional perspective mm -hmm. of world, uh, you know, conventional parenting. There is the parent who knows best, who's functioning in an authoritarian paradigm. Well, yeah. Hold on, my, do my dog is, give me just one quick second. Sorry, 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 sorry. It's, it's no, live awesome. interview. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So, so in essence, what I was saying about partnership par parenting is it's not it's parenting without an authoritarian paradigm. And you're like, whoa, how do you do that? That's in partnership with every member of your family. So, what does that look like? Well, it means that. Together, you're living without rules. Well, does that just sound like chaos? Maybe. Mm -hmm. But you're not living with rules, which tend to be arbitrary. And if you have rules, then rules need to be enforced. And then after they're enforced, you need to, uh, you know, dish out consequences. So that's putting you back into an authoritarian paradigm. Mm -hmm. So this is living a values-based life. So you know, is this value in alignment with our family? How do we, as as a family unit or in partnership, make a decision that's in alignment with these family values? Um, how do we make? How do we, you know, function? Um, you know, how do we make sure everybody's needs are met? How do we make decisions? Mm -hmm. Are we making decisions together as a family based on because I said so, or is it because all of our needs are met? So it's, it's highly, it's, it's about consent. It's about honoring each person's autonomy, bodily autonomy, sovereignty, and mental sovereignty to be able to direct. And your role as a parent is to guide and to provide um, and to facilitate, you know, safety and, and mm -hmm. all that stuff. But if, if you're doing that in partnership, which is how I raised my son, you know, you're, you're, you're creating connection, you're creating empower and empowerment an empowered individual mm -hmm. who has sovereignty over the, their thoughts and the ability to make decisions. And it's just the most beautiful way to live life. This is what mm -hmm. unschooling is for the most part. And that's yeah. how we live. So, mm -hmm. you know, we travel 
around the world for 12 years, but it wasn't because I said so. It was because we decided to. We went this place because we decided to together. We decided on where are we going to allocate our budget? How are we going to spend our time? How are we? It's like living presently. So it's a very different paradigm Mm -hmm. than conventional life. So that's partnership parenting. You can do it with two people and you can do it with 20 people. It's work and strategy with 20 people. Nice. Yeah. I feel like something I've noticed in the authoritarian model. So say parent-child relationship, the the child is like a very good, very obedient person to the authoritative parent. And I'm thinking like, what happens when an authority figure that does not have that child's best interest comes onto the scene and the child's like, yes, master, yes, master. You know what I mean? Like, not to say that model doesn't work for people and like do what you would want to do, but that's something I've thought about. It's like, how are you going to protect this obedient person from obeying the wrong master if you want to keep playing that game with them so i love the like model of maybe let's abolish this and like stand in our autonomy our personal power our sovereignty knowing that that does come with work to do that you know and keep up with that yeah and it's certainly a more uh, a highly engaged and more difficult commitment mm-hmm. but it's our birthright to be sovereign. I mean, it truly is. And you're absolutely right. You're seeing a lot of people, especially right now, following orders without asking why. And that to me is the the hardest part because those of us that are asking why we're getting, you know, criticism from people that are, that are just bowing down to authorities. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then I wonder how much of that is like their own, say, wounded inner child program that's like, I just want loved. You know what I mean? And it's like, oh, that's so sad that that the hooks are in that deep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Mm-hmm. I totally agree. Which is why I think that, I mean, obviously, every part of a person's life in terms of developmental is very, very important. But the adolescent years, mm-hmm. Like, like in the Western culture, we've taken away um, uh, rites of passage. So those traditions are no longer part of it. And adolescents are, are clumped in with childhood. And then the last half of adolescence is clumped in with adulthood. And we're in, in traditional culture. Uh, up through 18, you're not allowed to make your own choices. If you're in the traditional system, you're not told what you're allowed to be interested in. You're not, you're not allowed to, I mean, it's, it's so disempowering and it's such a, a indoctrination towards authority and power. And yes, if you're getting that kind of authoritarian paradigm at home, yes, it's mimicked in, in school system and, out in the the you know public domain as well everything is is um you know duplicated well of course that's how i should be i should just say yes ma'am no Mm ma'am you know Mm -hmm. yes because that will get me love keep me safe and like to then look at the free thinker and be like don't like you know then like the social policing that goes on is like ah like from a nefarious mind control perspective it's like 
what an effective program to get people so controlled that you can take away the authoritarian parent figure and they will just self-police each other. It's crazy. It, I mean, just looking at little pieces of what's happening in the world right now, like in the United States, there was recently some law passed that allows governmental agencies to determine you as a terrorist if you are talking about something that goes against the narrative like parenting from another perspective and that's frightening to me mm -hmm. thought police is very frightening mm -hmm. so but on the other hand it shows me how important what it what it is that we're doing the work that i'm doing with teens the work that i'm doing to help other parents navigate partnership parenting yeah. um, it's very important for the next generation right mm -hmm. but it's it's frightening that the world is changing in ways that i don't recognize anymore exactly um, from like a technical term aspect could you talk more about say the difference and similarities between homeschooling, world schooling, and unschooling? Sure. So homeschooling is the term that we use for doing some sort of education or learning outside of a, a school system, mm -hmm. right? So world schoolers and unschoolers are homeschoolers. Okay. So it's just the broad umbrella term. Now, within homeschooling, you've got different modalities. You can do distance learning, which is school at home, right? You could use a, a curriculum, which is state mandated, and do school at home. You could be an eclectic homeschooler. You could use religious um, uh, curriculum. You could use homemade curriculum. But the fact that you're using curriculum keeps mm -hmm. you under the umbrella of just homeschooling. Okay. Yeah. And you could do anything that you want. And depending in the United States on each state has their own sort of leg legal um, uh, requirements. Some kids in some states have to test every year. Some kids in some states uh, have to work with a learning um, uh, partner some kids in some states have to prove that they've learned the same thing that their kids in school, you know, learn. And some kids in some states have no requirements. So it just depends on the state. And I, I'm not as familiar anymore with which state is most free. I have no clue anymore. I've lived outside of the United States for 12 years. But that's homeschooling. And it's the same around the world, right? Homeschooling. And a lot of parents that start homeschooling that are taking their kids from the traditional system believe that they're believe through their own indoctrination that there's certain, excuse me, certain things that my kids must learn math, science. I mean, I always hear that. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I don't know. I mean, it's because that's what you've been indoctrinated to learn, and we could talk, we could unpack that. But most families that pull their kids from school and see that school isn't working for one reason or another. They choose something with a curriculum so they can include the math and the, the science so their kid doesn't fall behind. Mm -hmm. Now notice the reasoning behind that. My kid can't fall behind. Behind mm -hmm. what? Behind a scope, 
and sequence that was given to us by a government ordained that this is what a child should learn. For example, in California, in fifth grade, all kids needed to learn about the Spanish missions in California. Hmm. Why? I don't know. But you cannot pass fifth grade without learning about that. Hmm. So there, I mean, I'm giving, I'm, I don't know if that's frivolous or not, and it could be important to being uh, in California or Los Angeles, Los, Los Angelino, which is what we Yeah, but maybe it's not. But the yeah. fact that somebody told me my child cannot move forward to the next grade until he learns that specific piece mm -hmm. seems so arbitrary. Yeah. Which the arbitrariness of rules, again, mm -hmm. functions within the authoritarian paradigm. Mm -hmm. So that is the umbrella of homeschooling. And there's a lot to unpack there. I work with parents sometimes around how to help them unpack and deprogram themselves because mm -hmm. there's a lot that you have to look at. Now, let's take a look at unschooling. So there are two kinds of unschooling. There is unschooling from an educational perspective and unschooling is living as if school doesn't exist. Um, unschooling is empowering your learner uh -huh. to drive whatever it is they want to do. So if they want to dive deep into art or riding horses or playing music or learning about the stars, they do it and they drive it themselves. And the, the parent's role is to facilitate and get them the resources they need. On the flip side, if they want to dive deep into playing video games all day, they do it. And that's what you do as an unschooler. Now, unschooling, and, and we can talk about that in a minute, but unschooling is about the empowerment of the child leading. The moment that you interfere with the child leading, you have totally squash the development of their intrinsic motivation. The one thing that you don't get in school is intrinsic motivation. You're extrinsically motivated for rewards mm -hmm. in school. I get a great, I do, I do the work so I can get a good grade. That's extrinsic motivation. Intrinsic motivation is ours to find. And that's a skill that will carry us through adulthood. Our adulthood is much longer than our childhood. And if we've never developed our own intrinsic motivation, mm -hmm. we will never self-motivate, right? Mm -hmm. We'll always clock in, clock out, watch TV, eat, go to sleep, clock in, clock, like the factory worker kind of mentality. So video games is part of it because guess what we're living in 2021 and this is what it's what it is right mm -hmm. my son play at and that's also a big chunk of de-schooling which is when you finally have the power to make your own decisions you're gonna just sort of zone out on the thing that you love to do and mm -hmm. do it as long as you can because like oh my god is subconsciously somebody's gonna take this away from me somebody's gonna take yes. this away now i'm gonna do it now and that's why People believe, especially the kids that go to school, when all they want to do in their off time is jones over the thing that they love to do, which is video games. And parents are like, my kid's addicted. Well, no, they are holding on tight because it's a concept of scarcity and they're not allowed to do the thing that they want. Mm -hmm. So when you're unschooling, those that were unschooled from the beginning don't have that. But those who are taken out of the system do have that. And that's the period of de-schooling. 
parents need to de-school too. But the second kind of unschooling is called radical unschooling. I hate all of these terms, by the way. But what radical unschooling really means is living in partnership with your child in all aspects of life. So that covers hygiene, bodily autonomy. That covers food consumption, also bodily autonomy and sovereignty. Um, it it covers bedtimes. It covers don't kiss. You know, I'm not going to force you to kiss grandma. You know, consent, like all of these other things that are involved. So it is living in true partnership in every part of the child's life. Mm-hmm. So with that, um, that's really what we're talking about with partnership parenting, right? So radical unschooling. Some families don't radically unschool and they say, you know, you're still going to bed at at 11 o'clock. You're brushing your teeth every night. Um, Your body is not your choice. You can't cut your hair in that way. Forget dying it blue. You know, there's there for some parents, there's still that, no, I'm controlling. So there's still partial authoritarian. Um, And then world schooling is taking, we're still, we're homeschooling, right? We're, we are now using the world around us mm-hmm. as a rich environment to learn. So you can be a homeschooler in world school. You can be an unschooler in world school, you, schooler in world school. You could be a radical unschooler in world school, which we were. Mm-hmm. You could be somebody who does distance learning and every day at, you know, at eight o'clock, they check in and do their classes and then they still travel in world school. So again, it's using the world around you, which is really what we're tapping into is experiential learning. Mm -hmm. Experiential learning is much easier to do when you're outside of your comfort zone in in a new place. Mm -hmm. And it's also um, conducive of of multi-age learning, which Mm -hmm. is um, family learning. So, you know, all members of the family learning together, having these experiences, unpacking it, going to an ancient ruins, talking about it, reading, watching movies about it. Like that is in context learning, which is the most powerful way to learn. They may, that could be the only form of learning or, you know, focused education and the rest is self-directed, or it could be in conjunction with lots of other things. Okay. So, yeah, I hope that gives you a pretty clear definition. Yeah, it's definitely clear. I feel like I had this concept of to homeschool exclusively means the programming of school. It's like, here you go. Now you're the teacher. Now you have to indoctrinate them into all of this other stuff. And I was like, ooh, that doesn't that doesn't feel good. But from what I'm hearing you say, that is just yeah. a, a it's potential. One way. It's one way. Exactly. Yeah. It's just okay. using curriculum of some sort. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Did you, were you on the path of radical unschooling the whole time or you expect, like he was a fifth grade dropout. So you haven't always been on the path. Like, have you dabbled a lot or it was more so the traditional school path? And then it was like, nah, traditional school path. Then we decided to take this journey together and, and our journey was supposed to be for one year. And I was like, okay, let's learn through experience together. And I said, 
there, there's no point of, I, you know, I saw the, the curriculum from the school that they gave me, you know, you're going to be gone a year. He needs to learn these things. We're like, threw it away. I'm like, no way. This is stupid. Let's go have an adventure and learn together. And we had no idea it was going to last for 12 years. Mm -hmm. So we never went back to it, but we, because we were partnership parenting and because we said no curriculum and let's let's explore and learn together we went from traditional school to radical unschooling and world schooling and didn't know it it was for us an adventure i didn't even know those terms when we did that i just knew intuitively that we would learn together way more than fifth grade could offer him and yes. such a huge benefit and then he'd go back he'd catch up he was so smart he learned mm -hmm. by reading and he was always motivated and hated school because it was stupid and he already knew all that stuff and exactly so yeah and then when we decided not to continue um uh, or sorry, when we decided to continue our, our trip, um, I started researching like, okay, I'm, I have to be accountable as a parent and <laughs> my child. And then I realized that there were definitions for what we were doing. I was like, oh, we're already doing it. Yay. <laughs> Excuse awesome. me. Yeah. Um, so we're nearing the end of the hour. I want to be mindful of your time, but um, I have a few more questions. Uh, how are you doing? Yeah, we can do a couple more. Excuse me, I have to clear my throat. No problem. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, sorry, I don't know what that was. I had a call. Um, I, I'm curious how you introduced the concept of, okay, first of all, something I didn't learn about in school was money, finances, investing. You know, people have conversations about, oh, we didn't learn all these things in school. And like now that we're adults in life, we have the right. responsibility to learn these things. One of those things really being money and not necessarily how our parents might have related to money, meaning working for the authoritarian boss your whole life, the clock in, clock out, watch TV type of thing. But more so, you know, entrepreneurship, investing, not to say everyone has to do it, but it excites me and I'm curious like how you introduce these concepts to kids and even parents that you come in contact with. Like what's the, like, is, is there an age that's too young? Like, is, is it unethical to like put the burden of making money on, you know, all this indoctrination that I have comes to mind, but I'm thinking like, no, teach kids as soon as possible, how they can be financially sovereign so that it aids the rest of their sovereignty. Well, I don't know if I taught myself how to be financially <laughs> sovereign, but we did explore the concept of economics a lot. Mm -hmm. um, and so I don't teach parents or teens how to do it, but I share from our life how, how we approached it. So I owned a branding design agency for eight years. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, we, we brought in, you know, a million dollars a year and it just it was sometimes not quite sometimes, but not always. Um, but it did quite well. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, running a business that, that was primarily the reason why we left the United States was because in 2008, the economy crashed. Mm -hmm. My clients went away. I focused on serving green businesses, eco businesses and nonprofits. 
<coughs> Some, my tickle mm -hmm. in my throat. I'm so ah, I have water. We have water. Cheers. Mm. So, going from a world of of having a lot, right? Because we lived with with a lot of stuff, and and we had a lot of abundance, but we didn't have time. Mm. Um, primarily, the reason why we left on our journey is my son would always say to me, "Mom, you're always working. You never spend any time with me." And being a single parent, like heartbreaking, heartbreaking, heartbreaking. And when the economy crashed and my clients went away and I knew that I wasn't going to bring back my staff after the end of the year, uh, 2008, um, I just kind of reevaluated things. And what I valued was consumerism and making money. And what I was, what was, um, lacking was time and family and mm -hmm. the time and family was more important than consumerism and making money but i didn't know how to balance the two but i just knew that i had to make a change mm -hmm. so this the the economy crashing gave me a great opportunity we sold all our stuff we decided to take an adventure i i was burnt out anyway and yeah. i didn't want to miss out on any more of my son's life so we had a small nest egg which gave us uh, the amount of money to live off of for one year mm -hmm. and um that traveling and living for one year comfortably right um so we said okay let's go have this adventure i can always go back and work after that um but when we decided in partnership, eight months in, not to go back. It was really like, okay, not only do I have to look at the education portion, I have to look at how mm -hmm. can we be sustainable. We have very little money left. We have four months of living expenses left. How are we going to stretch mm -hmm. this? You're like, I'm in my stretch zone. How are yeah. we doing this? <laughs> but we could do it. We could do it. So we really reevaluated how we were living also mm -hmm. um, and cut down our expenses because this is the thing that we wanted. And when we set out, the bank account was our bank account. It wasn't my money to manage. It was here's our money. How are we going to manage it? What experiences are we going to have this month? What's within budget? We look at all the numbers. Um, mm -hmm. My son helped me a lot with the money conversions. I'm really stupid in math. I can't process it really quick. It's just not my brain. I'm very I'm a different kind of thinker. But knowing he was really good at that. Mm -hmm. My throat. <laughs> Excuse me. This is what happens when you talk for an hour. Mm -hmm. um, let's see what else. So, you know, restructuring our relationship to money was really powerful. Mm. Um, we decided that, you know, what we needed to live on was way less than what we were actually living on. And we, we created a budget and stuck to it, you know, any, and at Tanny always had the ATM card codes and bank codes and everything. And so having that kind of accountability and partnership mm -hmm. that we were making these decisions together and he always had the opportunity. To, uh, is there something you want? You just go take out money and, you know, and just mark it on our ledger. So we know what we've got for this month and it's yeah. fine. And he was always really cautious. Mm -hmm. Oh no, I don't want to overdo anything. I've got everything I need. And that really realigned 
kind of our relationship to money, consumerism, mm -hmm. the economy. And then we were in Nicaragua mm -hmm. and we were there for a while and we decided to listen to an audio book together, which was tales of an economic hitman. Yeah. <laughs> like, Oh yeah. my God. Um, and it took place a lot. A lot of the stories took place in uh, Nicaragua. The history of Nicaragua. We were seeing it from a totally different perspective in Panama, Noriega, the the Sandinistas, and we're like, wow. And now we're we're meeting people. This is like only forty years ago, and we're meeting people. And we're seeing the effects of mm -hmm. all the economic. Yeah. Um, sort of decisions from a country that we came from that affected this poor country. And yeah, thinking people, of the economy not in numbers, but in like people, places. People, like, right. Yeah. We started to learn about the triple bottom, bottom line, what's good for health, what's good for the planet, what's good for, for happiness, what's good for sustainability. And, you know, that's the whole thing. And it got us thinking very, very differently. Mm -hmm. So... You know, how did my son learn math? How did he learn economy? Well, by living it. Yeah. And this was a really good experience. And then I'll fast forward, you know, so we ended up living off of about a thousand US dollars because that's all we had a, a month mm -hmm. um, for two years. So okay. we went from what we made in one month in the, in the States to living off of that for a year. So mm -hmm. the way that our relationship to money changed dramatically. And then we, we, we sort of doubled that over a year when we started doing a little bit more creating, um, uh, the retreats and stuff like that, but yeah. this never filled our bank account. And we realized that value comes in many different forms, but, Fast forward a little bit. We were living in Peru. It's like five years later. And my son wanted to learn how to play the liar. Mm -hmm. Out of all things. <laughs> you can't just go to the store and buy a liar. Yeah. Liar is the musical instrument that uh, Apollo, Apollo played, but Dionysus yeah. used it too. And he wanted to learn the liar. So first of all, we had a luthier who was a friend of ours in Peru who made instruments. He made trongos and stuff like that. Never even heard of a liar. <laughs> so he found out how much a liar would cost. And he brought him pictures and he talked about it, how many strings, what, you know, all that stuff. So he got the number. I was like, we don't have that in our budget. So he's like, okay. Will you help me put on and put an online store and let's sell to our, our our fans, you know, people that are following our our journey. We could sell them these, um, uh, you know, their family owned uh, alpaca sweaters. You know, yes. they, they have a shop. There's there's a uh, another. We had a, a relationship with somebody who made shoes with the mm -hmm. Peruvian um, fabrics. We had we he would go shopping for ponchos for people let me do that so he put on put up this online store selling all of these different items but not actually having them but we put them in our store and when somebody placed an order he would add i think it was 20 percent mm -hmm. and, and he said you know i i marked this up i'm making money <laughs> this is you know but that the rest of the money is going to that the the vendor you know this the the 
the family that owns this little tienda, this little store that that are trying to make a, a living. And I go in and I place your order for them, and they will they will for the sweaters. Uh, they gave us like four different necklines. They gave us Aww. all these colors and they would make them for mm -hmm. the people that ordered them in the United States. Yep. So he did that for about six months and earned the money to Yay. buy his liar. <laughs> so that's what he did. So I think in some sense, he, he learned business ethic. He learned um, how to support vendors and customers and fulfill orders and like all mm -hmm. that stuff. So that's entrepreneurship. Definitely. And, and then, mm -hmm. go ahead. And then, then the last thing is we started Project World School together. Just yeah. that. Well, like I see it as so meaningful to work towards a, a goal, uh, like an experiential goal, no less, instead of like working for almost like a never ending sense of like, I, I just need more money. I that scarcity complex, you know? Um, yes. Thank you so much for sharing that. It's a beautiful like weaving of really experiencing the economy from like a cultural perspective and then like the entrepreneurship woven in to where it's like all right you want the more money like what was he inspired to do that or you introduced um the idea i i think i did <laughs> like, like you planted the seed <laughs> I, I mean I, I mean it was an idea i mean here's one way you you might want to think about raising money do you want to run a business okay well, let's talk about it. Here's mm -hmm. here's one way you can do it. What do you think? Nice. And you know, it's oh yeah, we know those because we would buy the the, the alpaca sweaters and we talk to them all the time. They were our neighbors, and you, you know, so yeah, we can work with them or those t awesome tablecloths mm -hmm. and mantas. Yeah, they're really cool. They're very unique. Mm -hmm. um, so then he, as soon as I planted the seed, he, you know, he took off with it. But I mean, again, I was talking to a twelve year old, you mm -hmm. know, so. Or 13. Yeah. How old was he? Maybe 13. Yeah. 13. Um, so I wanted to ask about the event happening next March, I believe. Um yes. the the summit. So the Project World School Family Summits, um, we've been running them since what year? Let me see. I'll tell you now. <laughs> I can't even remember. We've been doing them for a while. Hold on. I will tell you, I should know this. <laughs> Long time. So we've been running them since 2016. Okay. Not that long, but they are community events. Um, they're in the spirit of co-creation. So um, we program five days worth of content and all of the content comes from the people that sign up to come. Oh, so when you cool. sign up, I ask, you know, do you have a skill or a story or a session or a workshop you can give? And and I get all of these applications. So some people are, well, yes, I'm a world schooler, but I 
also practice um, using essential oils or I do this or that, or I, yes, I had this really incredible adventure and I want to share what it was like. Yeah. So whatever it is, you know, I get all these applications and then I program the five days and they're all um, coming from within our community. We focus on education, health and wellness, experiential learning and family connection. Okay. And um, the amazing part about that is you never know what you're going to get, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? <laughs> but it always fills up to be this amazing community event because our community members are so diverse and so talented. And together, we've got like each person mm -hmm. is the the vision, the the story, the yes. The, but together we're just it's so rich and so we do that five days um and then alongside of the the conference workshops we run a kids camp and Miro is the kids camp and it's five days of pure fun and the kids have so much fun they're running around with their peers they make friends with other travelers the parents usually connect they end up connecting and you know sometimes they take off and travel together and then the concept of community is just so important especially if you're living outside of the cultural norm yeah right so yeah, that's what they are. They're, um, we did two years of only during the spring in Mexico. And then we did, then we started alternating between in the fall between um, Europe and Asia. So always spring in Mexico and then Asia and um, Europe okay. in different locations. So those people that were traveling could, you know, plan to just sort of divert and come together as a community and then disperse again. Mm -hmm. um, and then know that every six months they'd have a place to go. So last year or this year, well, last year we did our spring mm -hmm. summit mm -hmm. in Mexico. Then the world locked down. Yeah. We canceled our, um, uh, the summit scheduled for Vietnam. Mm -hmm. So that didn't happen, obviously, end of 2020, no traveling to Asia or anywhere for that matter. And then this year, spring was still a little iffy. People were not traveling. People were still a little scared. But then they kept sending me messages, Laney, when's it going to be? So I, in short notice, I, I had I gave people like six weeks notice and we scheduled one for summer. So okay. that was the first time it was a little off, but yeah. we had our Project World School Family Summit in June, May, end of May, beginning of June in Zihuatanejo, mm -hmm. Mexico. Okay. And I think we did it this year. And then next year we're going back to spring. Hopefully we'll be able to produce one in Europe at, okay. in 2022 in Europe somewhere. Who knows? Who knows? Awesome. Well, I so appreciate all of the wisdom you brought to this chat. Thank, Thank you so you. much for your time. It was um, fun. Yeah. Uh, it's the stuff I love to talk about. Uh, uh, where can people find you? Oh, boy. So on Facebook, We Are World Schoolers is, is our community, and it's a pretty fantastic active community. Um, on the web, weareworldschoolers.org. 
Um, for my work with teens, transformative mentoring for teens, and for my work with parents, partnership parenting movement or partnership partnership. Let me look real fast. Hold on. It's partnershipparent.com. That's what it is. Partnership. Yeah, I know on your one website it has almost like the different projects listed with the drop down to like various. Oh, yeah, yeah. Things. And I thought that was really cool. So people can see like what's going on in yeah. this universe. Yes. Yay. To get all those links, that's probably easier. Just go to worldschoolingcoach.com. Okay. Awesome. Well, yes. Thank you again so much. So, so much. Yay. Have You're a welcome. Day. Thank you for the invitation. Yeah. Have you a too. Day. I'll talk to you later. Thank you. Bye. Bye.